But I want to preach to you this evening on an instance in the life of Joseph that I believe is most instructive to you and I because it deals with something that all of us deal with from time to time, and that is the topic of temptation. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse number 1. Word of God says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house. He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you, uh, Lord, would just uh, administrate uh, this service this evening. I pray that your will would be accomplished, and I pray that... Uh, each and everything that's done tonight, Lord, each and every word that I say, every note that's played, uh, Lord, every heart that listens would be surrendered unto your desires. And I pray, Father, that you would bring about in us an eternal uh, change, that we might be drawn closer to you, and that we might be better equipped for the battles we face daily. And, Lord, that we might glorify you in how we live and in what we do. Father, we love you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the Word of God, you'll find the, temp- uh, the word temptation used in two connotations. Uh, if you want to have a, a good overview of the two uses of the word of temptation, uh, then you can go over to the book of James. We're not going to take the time to do it, but I just remind you that the book of James says uh, that we ought to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. And yet then it goes on a little later and says, Hey, the Lord uh, tempteth no man. Well, I don't know about you, but the Lord Jesus Christ said that He came that we might have joy and that our joy might be full. And if we could derive joy from temptation, then why would the Bible say the Lord can be tempted of no man, neither tempteth He any man? And what James is doing is illustrating the fact that the word temptation is used in your Bible to mean two things, and the context determines uh, what it means. God, just say this to you tonight. A lot of folks that people, uh, or a lot of folks that that, uh, argue and fuss, about obscure understandings of various words in your King James Bible, a lot of times you just back out and look at the context, God will tell you what He means. Amen? Uh, God will tell you what He means. And the context will bear it out. And of course, this is the case with the word 
temptation in your Bible as well. The word temptation has two understandings. Uh, There are times that the word temptation means a solicitation to do evil. Uh, This is the type of temptation that Joseph is facing in Genesis 39. Uh, The devil wants to trip him up and wants to get him to sin against his God and to sin against his master. He is soliciting him to do evil. But then there are times in your Bible that the word temptation, uh, it reflects uh, the idea of a trial or a difficulty or a challenge. And uh, uh, the distinction between those is very important. You can get a lot of bad doctrine, uh, a lot of things that you won't understand in your Bible uh, if, uh, if you get those two conflated. For instance, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I know you're familiar with this verse, but I'll share it with you anyway. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, I've heard preachers take that and say, Hey, God will never put more on you than you can handle. i got bad news for you. God's in the business of putting more on you than you can handle. Amen? Now, He won't ever put more on you than He can handle, but He will put more on you than you can handle. Paul talks about that in the book 1 Corinthians. Uh, he talks about how that when they were in the book 2 Corinthians, when they were uh, in Asia, they were pressed out of measure and above strength. What's he saying? He's saying God put stuff on us that was more than what we could handle. And certainly God will put us through circumstances that we in our temporal strength and in our resolve of mind and spirit and of ourselves that we can't handle. You say, preacher, why would he do that? For the same reason he did it for Paul. Paul said when that happened, they found in themselves the sentence of death. They said, hey, listen, neighbor, if we keep going on this way, it's going to kill us. We can't handle this. It's too much for us. But then he says that God did this for this reason, that we might believe in Him which raiseth the dead, that we might place our faith in Him that has the power, not over uh, life only, but over death as well. So God will put more on you as far as circumstances than what you can bear, and He'll do this so that you'll turn to Him and look unto Him and trust in Him. No, listen, when Paul talks about temptation in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he's not talking about uh, temptation in terms of affliction, but he's talking about temptation in terms of a solicitation to do evil. And what the Word of God is saying here is that God's never going to put you in a situation where your only choice is to sin. Amen? Uh, God will always make a way of escape. And uh, we know this because the very next thing that Paul says there in verse 14 is, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He's saying, listen, you've got idolatry rampant around you, but there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. There's other folks who have turned from idols to serve the living God, and you can turn from idols to serve the living God. And so he says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Get out of there and get back close to God. So when we talk about temptation in our Bible, uh, we could be talking about affliction. We could be talking about solicitation to do evil. The context must tell us which. And in Genesis 39, we have probably one of the most memorable examples of somebody facing temptation in the proper way. Now, again, I would remind you, just as Paul said to the church at Corinth, no temptation but such as is common to man. We all face temptation. Hey, listen, uh, lust when it hath conceived bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. We all face temptation in our life. I don't care who you are. I don't care how clean your laundry is or how empty your closet is. We all face temptation. So we must learn how to face temptation biblically. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight of tackling temptation. I believe Joseph did exactly what we need to do when we're facing temptation. 
And I'll tell you one of the things I love about what Joseph does is he shows us a progression, a process in a very practical way of how to deal with temptation. Hey, listen, the, the way to deal with temptation, there are times... Well, I don't want to preach my message before I get there. But suffice it to say that Joseph takes multiple steps. Yeah, he doesn't just get out of Dodge in, in the first instance. And you say, preacher, why is that important? Well, because oftentimes we face temptation in places where it's not easy just to get away. Uh, listen, a lot of, hey, a lot of married folks have faced temptation on the job site. And that doesn't mean it's the will of God for you to quit every job where Satan shows up and tempts you. You uh, might find yourself in the poor house and your family not provided for. You may have family that tempts you to do the wrong thing. That doesn't mean it's the will of God for you to cut them out of your life. No, we see a progression in Joseph's actions that I believe details a path for us of how to deal with temptation. Before we get into the preaching, I want to list two things I think worth noting about this temptation because it seems to be the way the devil always comes to me and I trust that it's the way that he comes to you as well. Let me say two things about this temptation. Number one, this temptation was particular. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean this, that the devil tempted Joseph with something that he had every reason to believe Joseph would desire and be susceptible towards. Joseph is a young man at this point. Joseph has been away from home for a long time. Joseph, no doubt, is feeling alone, is feeling abandoned. And the devil knew that the most tempting thing to him would be the company of someone that professes love and compassion and affection. The devil came to him with exactly the right thing. And that's why I want to remind you tonight that no matter... Hey, listen, there's some of y'all that uh, what, dad, what uh, Joseph went through wouldn't tempt you in a heartbeat, but there's something else that would tempt you, and the devil's going to do everything he can. He, he don't tempt us all the same. Amen? Uh, I, there, there are certain things in, uh, in my life that I would just... Ne- I, it's just not a temptation for me, but other people do struggle with it. And there are certain things that may never tempt you that the devil knows would tempt me. And we must understand and realize that the devil is more subtle than any beast of the field, he is cunning. He has, uh, the Bible calls it the wiles of the devil. What does that mean, that he's wily? Well, you've seen the old uh, cartoons of the wily coyote, right? He tries everything, don't he? He tries everything. He's buying anvils. He's painting holes on, and tunnels on walls. He's blowing things up. He's trying everything. Every avenue that he can. He's cunning. He's witty. It's just that roadrunner has him beat. Amen? And the devil will try various avenues, but he knows how he can approach you in such a way to tempt you. It was particular. And then let me say this. Not only was it particular, it was persistent. The devil didn't just come and tempt one time and then leave him alone. The devil continued to come and to tempt Joseph concerning this. I would just remind you very quickly before we get into the message that the Bible tells us of a time when our Lord was tempted in the wilderness. And the Bible says that the devil came and and for 40 days tempted him. And the Bible says at the end of it, the Lord having refused him and having uh, quoted the Word of God and rested assuredly on God's promises, the Bible says this, that the devil departed from him for a season. Now, if there was anybody that the devil should have known he wasn't making any time with, you'd think he'd be the Son of God. But even Jesus Christ... Satan came back to him time and time and time again. Now, if he'll, at the risk of, 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 uh, of making an assumption, 
if he'll waste his time with Jesus, and I believe it was a waste of, of his time, amen? Wasn't a waste of Jesus' time. Jesus ain't never wasted no time. It isn't a waste of our time to read it and to learn from it, but it, it was a waste of the devil's time. There was no chance Jesus was going to sin. And as such, we might say this, that if, it, if he would, knowing it was a waste of time, if he would continue to pursue our Lord and Savior, then don't you think he'll continue to pursue you and me where there is a good likelihood and possibility that we'll give in and sin? I'm, I'm just saying this tonight. Listen, I, I, and, and I know people say, well, you just got to rebuke the devil and this and that. And, uh, you know, the Bible never says that, right? The Bible says you resist the devil. The Bible never says rebuke the devil and he'll flee from you. It says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. In fact, the Bible says that whenever Michael the archangel just rebuke him concerning the body of Moses, that he didn't invoke his own name. He said, the Lord just rebuke thee. Uh, I, I believe there's a lot of folks that, and there's a lot of this name it and claim it and televangelist theology that goes on out there where you speak a word and it becomes faith and all that nonsense. And uh, I think we need to have a biblical understanding of this matter. And don't think just because you quote-unquote rebuke him or speak a word or quote a scripture that he's going to run away and not bother you anymore. He is persistent. We have to know how to deal with him in the right manner. And by the way, even if you always deal with him in the right manner, until the day that you die, he's still going to try to find something to tempt you about. So we might as well learn this tonight because we're going to face it for the rest of our lives. Now I want you to notice three simple things that Joseph did. And I believe this is the path we ought to take when we're tempted. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Notice these next three words. But he refused. Let me say, the first thing Joseph did when faced with temptation, and this is going to seem uh, elementary, my dear Scott, you know, but uh, he refused her. He refused her. You say, preacher, uh, what do you mean he refused her? He made up his mind that he wasn't going to go down that path. You know why a lot of us give in to temptation? Because we flirt with it. Let me say that again. We, a lot of us give in to temptation because we flirt with it. A lot of us give in to temptation because we leave the door open in our mind and we allow some question as to whether or not we're going to entertain the devil's temptations. Joseph, the first thing he does before anything happens is he says no. And you know where it ought to start in our lives? It ought to start with a resolve of the heart and mind that we're going to keep ourselves pure unto God. Now, be that a physical pureness like Joseph is facing here or emotional or mental or spiritual, whatever it might be, we have to make up our minds. We have to refuse the temptations of the devil. Now, somebody out there is thinking this right now. Watch this. I'm going to prophesy. You're going to find out if I'm a prophet. Amen. Somebody is sitting there thinking, okay, preacher, how? How? That's all good and well, preacher, to say that we need to refuse the devil. Of course I want to refuse the devil. Of course I don't want to sin. But preacher, how can I do that? Well, I think in the same way that Joseph did. I want you to look at verse uh, number uh, 7 again, or verse number 8. Listen to what he says. The Bible says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not. That word wadeth, you know what it means? It means he knoweth not. He wadeth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin 
against God. There's two things that Joseph invokes in order to help him refuse her. Number one, he invoked the confidence of his master. So what do you mean, preacher? He said to her, look, I belong to your master or your husband. He is my master. He is the master of this home. And he has entrusted everything that he has to me. He trusts me so implicitly that he doesn't even have a clue what he owns other than the bread that comes across his table. He trusts me so unconditionally that he allows me complete charge. And he never even comes back and questions what I'm doing. He says this, a great trust has been given towards me. And because of that, I cannot do this thing. You know what would be a good thing? You face temptation. The first thing you need to be reminded of is this. There's a lot of folks watching what you're doing. There's a lot of folks watching what you're doing. I don't know if you realize this, but every single person in this room that's born again by the grace of God, God has entrusted you with a sphere of influence. And you say, preacher, what do you mean? I mean this. You could uh, draw a circle around your life and there's certain people that aren't standing in it and there's certain people that are standing in it. The people that are standing in it, you know what they're doing? Uh, They know you. They interact with you. They know you're a Christian. They watch how you live. They watch what you're doing. They're in that sphere of influence. Whatever you do is going to touch them and change them and formulate an opinion in their mind. And you have been entrusted with a testimony in front of those people. Do you realize that? Do you realize, listen, there's people you work with, they know you're a Christian, and you might be the only Christian they know. And they're going to make their mind up about what a Christian is based on how you behave. Uh, People in your family that they know, hey, you're trying to live right, live for God, and go to church and read your Bible. And they're watching, and they want to see if you're going to step out and mess up and give up on God. They're watching you. Now listen, there's a lot of good reasons that we ought to keep ourselves pure unto God, but that's not a bad one. To be reminded, and let me say this, of course everything we do, ultimately we ought to do it for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But part of that is understanding just what He's entrusted us with. Hey, your Master has given you great influence on people, whether you acknowledge it or not. And I would say this, that the influence we wield is often larger than what we acknowledge. There is an influence we wield that we aren't even aware of, people watching and observing our life. Uh, You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, just mess up and see how many people have something to say about it. Why is that? They were watching and beholding your life. The first thing we need to do when faced with temptation, this is very practical, I want you to get this. The first thing we need to do when faced with temptation, we need to remember the confidence of our Master, the the confidence that God has placed in us, uh, the opportunity He has given to us, that He has trusted us with the name of Christ, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has trusted us to reach out to lost sinners, to show them Christ. He has entrusted us to influence even believers for the glory of God, we have had much put in our trust. We need to remember that. But then I want you to notice the next phrase he gives. He lists all that. He says, there's none greater in the house than I. I He hath not kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. He talks about all that Potiphar has entrusted him with. But then notice what he says. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In other words, he invokes not only the confidence of his master, but he invokes the commitment he has to his Maker. And he says, hey, listen, not just that, but what would God think about this thing? Very rarely, I'll just be honest with you, very rarely in society today, be it secular or quote-unquote spiritually uh, speaking, or spiritual society, is anybody giving thought to what God would think? 
And I, and I promise you, that's not just a button to push to get amens. I'm not just up here saying, oh, society's so awful. I'm just telling you. Even in most churches, very few people uh, pray about things, seek God's face about things. Very few people are interested in what God thinks about matters. When faced with temptation, one of the ways that Satan weakens us is by getting our mind off of God's will. If we'll keep our mind not only on all that God's trusted us with, but if we'll think about all that God's done for us, then it'll help us to refuse temptation. Now, here's how it would go for me or you. Uh, Joseph, of course, at the time that he's living, the relationship that he has to the God of heaven is more intimate than probably anyone else walking earth, uh, but it's not anywhere near as intimate as your relationship and my relationship is with God. And so uh, I don't know what it was exactly that Joseph thought about. Uh, Certainly Joseph could see the hand of God in his life. Uh, Certainly he could look at the way that God had prospered him. I believe what he was saying is this, Hey, listen, Potiphar's entrusted me, but God's entrusted me, and he has been good to me. How can I do this wickedness seeing how good God's been to me? You know how you and I need to approach it? We need to look at Calvary and the price that was paid for our sins. Let me tell you, it's hard to give in to temptation when you've got Calvary on your mind. I'm talking about in a practice. I'm saying when you are faced with temptation. I'm talking about when you leave out of here tonight and go home and are faced with temptation, you need to, in that moment, consciously of your own volition, you need to say, hey, I'm tempted. I need to think about Calvary. I need to get what Jesus did for me on my heart and on my mind. We need to not allow the devil to blind us, spiritually speaking, to the great price and pain that Calvary was. We need to consider that commitment that we have and consider just as how good God has been to us. It is a great antidote to temptation to ponder on the grace of God. And we need to spend time thinking about how good God has been. So when we say He refused her, we don't mean that in a just in, in a uh, semantic sense. We don't just mean, oh, He just decided He was going to refuse her, and okay, and it worked out good. He specifically, when He refused her, said, I have been entrusted by my Master, I owe it to Him, and God has been good to me, and I owe it to God, and for these reasons, I cannot give in. He refused her. Let me give you a second thing. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, and it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph, day by day. There's that persistence. Not a day went by that she didn't come by and say, Hey, Joseph, the offer's still good. I'm still interested in you. Day by day. Notice what it says, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her. Now notice this next phrase. Hey, listen, today, modern Christianity, we need to get a good dose of this. Look what he says. Or to be with her. Not only did he refuse her, but he removed himself from her. He avoided her. Let me tell you something. A lot of times, uh, temptation would gain no traction in our life if we quit putting ourselves in the place of temptation. Two things that he did. Number one, he ignored her pleas. He did not hearken unto her. Every day she would approach him. You know what he'd do? He'd stop his ears. He'd walk away. He would dismiss what she was saying. You know, it sort of invokes the idea to me, hey, listen, if you'll entertain temptation, then eventually you'll embrace temptation. <laughs> no doubt she probably had a lot of good reasons. I don't know what they may have been. 
It might be folly to presume to understand, but she might have said things like, well, you know, Potiphar, he just don't love me like he once did. Potiphar, never at home anymore. And, uh, Joseph, look what he's, how he's treating you. And uh, You're the servant that has brought all this wealth to his home. We know God has prospered Potiphar because of you. Might have even said something like, my husband wouldn't mind, would be okay with it, we're Egyptians. But whatever it was, she had her excuses. But Joseph made up his mind he wasn't going to listen to him. And let me tell you, more than anything, you know what we need to do? We need to quit listening to the lies of the devil. And the world has all kinds of reasons why it's okay. Say, preacher, why what's okay? Why anything the devil wants you to do and God don't want you to do is okay. You won't run out of uh, articles and blog posts and posts on social media uh, explaining why that God is permissive and doesn't really care what you do and it's not a big deal. I got news for you. We have a holy God. And He does care how you live and how you behave. And the world, hey, listen, there's not many things that the devil will give to you any time you ask, but one of them is an excuse. And we have to make up our mind we're not going to listen to the excuses. We have to make up our mind that we answer only to God. And that if it doesn't line up with God's Word, then it doesn't line up at all. And just because somebody out here, and you'll find, anytime you want to get into sin, you'll find a chorus of people that will give you a million reasons it's okay. It doesn't matter if the whole world says it's okay. The question is, what does God think about it? And every day she gave reasons why Joseph should give in. And the devil will come to you day by day by day and tell you all the reasons why it's okay. How many times has the devil come by and said something like this to you? Hey, you deserve it. You deserve it. You've been good. You've been living for God. Just give in just this once. Come by and say, hey, it's not the end of the world. Hey, listen, it might not be the end of the world, but it might be the end of your testimony. Amen? And come by and give excuses and whisper in your ear. And if you listen in and dwell upon, you'll eventually give in. You'll eventually give in. He refused to hearken. He did not ignore or he ignored her pleas. And then I want you to notice this. He avoided her presence. He refused to be with her. Now, I don't think that that term be with her is a euphemism. You know why? Because the term lie with her is. <laughs> the term lie with her encompasses a carnal, intimate relationship. And so the fact that God uses both of them tells me this. He would not give in to temptation, but He also wouldn't even find Himself around her. He just avoided her altogether. There are certain places a Christian should never be. There's just certain places a Christian should never be. Now, that's not to say that Christians don't go to those places sometimes. Hey, listen, a Christian ought never be in an adult bookstore. A Christian ought never be at a bar. Uh, listen, a Christian ought never be at a dancing club. Now, I'm not saying Christians don't go there, and I'm not saying if you go there you're going to lose your salvation. I'm saying this, that you don't belong there. You ought not be there. Hey, what concord hath Christ with Belial? What communion hath light with darkness? There are certain places a Christian should just never find themselves. And as such, hey, listen carefully. If we want to avoid temptation, the best thing to do is to avoid the places where temptation is strong. He wasn't with her. You know why he wasn't with her? Because he knew what being with her would lead to. He didn't want to hear the excuses she had. He didn't want to hear all the reasons why it was okay. Because he knew... And listen, it wasn't because he didn't believe them. It's because he knew if he listened long enough, he would believe them. He avoided her, not out of strength, but out of weakness. He said, listen, I can't spend time around her. If I do, eventually the devil's going to have my number. And as such, hey, listen, there, you, there's times you just got to get out and remove yourself from the presence. 
And I want to give you one final thing and I'm done. Verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. There was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he fled, and he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Now, there's a few interesting things about that. One is this. Before she ever got a hold of him, Joseph was already on his way out. Now, how do you know that? Because the Bible says she caught him by his garment. Uh, he was already on his way out. Now, you can believe what you want to about this passage, but I'll tell you what I believe is a reasonable reading and understanding of it. I believe Joseph went into the house. He had business he had to attend to. He walked in there. He looked around. Wasn't nobody there but her. He turned around and went to walk out. And she grabbed hold of his coat and tried to prevent him. You see, she thought it was the perfect opportunity. And you know the problem with temptation? I want you to listen now. The problem with temptation, with flirting with temptation, is eventually the perfect opportunity will come by. Where all the things that we're scared of, hey, eventually sin will catch you alone, where no one's watching, where no one's paying attention, and make you think that if you sin, you can get away with it. But Joseph knew well enough to know that was not the case. And so what did Joseph do? Well, first he refused her, then he removed himself from her. And then when that didn't work, Joseph ran from her. He ran from her. If you find yourself repeatedly in a place of temptation, then you need to do whatever you have to do to get away from that temptation, no matter what it costs you. Think with me for a moment about the course that he took. He came to a place where he realized, and I'll tell you what I believe he realized. I believe he realized this. I believe this was probably the first time this had ever happened that he had been caught alone. And I think he probably suspected she had orchestrated that. And I think she, that he probably came to this decision. This is not going to stop, so I have to stop it. Are you listening to me? This is not going to stop, so I have to stop it. Hey, spouses that, that work in a workplace and you've got one of those co-workers of the opposite sex that's a little too friendly, you might have to get to a place where you realize this ain't going to stop. The flirtation's not going to stop. The inside jokes aren't going to stop. Uh, the, uh, the, the finding themselves alone in the office or at the workplace with me, it ain't going to stop, so I'm going to have to stop it. Your marriage might be on the line. It's all right. I didn't expect this to be fun. That's the truth. Ain't no telling how many marriages have been busted up with just a few inside jokes, flirtatious moments in an office. You may have to make the decision you're going to have to find your new place. Or you may have to make the decision you're going to talk to somebody that can resolve it without you having to leave, but you're going to do whatever it takes to ensure that you cushion and that you protect your marriage. By the same token, hey, listen, uh, there, there's... Well, I can give anecdotal after anecdotal. Here's the point. If it's not going to stop, you need to get out. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. I'll let the Holy Ghost apply that however it's necessary. Hey, listen, you can't keep filthy stuff off your TV. You may have to get rid of it. Listen, I'm not against TV in principle. It adds 10 pounds and ain't none of us needs that. Somebody say amen. But I mean, I'm not against it in principle. I got TVs in my home, but if you find you can't keep filth off your TV, you may have to get rid of it. Hey, listen, a lot of these young people, we got these phones in our pocket. We can look at anything we want to. If you find out that you can't keep yourself pure, you may have to get rid of it. Get you one of them bag phones they carried 20 years ago. 
I'm saying, hey, whatever it is, whatever it is, you may get to a place where your only course is just to get out. And the, the reason I... Listen, I don't think everybody that has somebody that, that is a little uncomfortable in, in their friendliness in the workplace needs to run out and quit their job tomorrow. That's the reason I said this is a practical approach. There's things you ought to try before you get to that point. You ought to refuse them. You ought to remove yourself from them. But if it gets to that point, and it's not going to stop, you may just have to run from them. You may have to do whatever it takes. I'm trying to get you to understand tonight that sin is a destructive thing and it'll destroy your home, your marriage, your life, your kids, your testimony. It'll destroy a church. And we better treat it like the rattlesnake it is. You better believe that if you lived in a place, some of you women's going to testify about this. If you lived in a place and snakes kept getting in your home and you did everything you could, you sealed the cracks in the house, you had the exterminator out, but every night when you would uh, go to bed, uh, you'd have to step over a snake that had coiled itself somewhere. Some of you ladies would be saying, hey, time to call the realtor. We ain't going to stay here if we can't get this under control. And sin is far more dangerous than any cold snake with venomous talons. Listen, and fangs, it's a, it's a ferocious thing, and we need to understand in our heart and mind, there comes a place, if, we, if it won't stop, we're just going to have to run. His course was to get out. And then I want you to notice his cost. The Bible says she grabbed that coat, and she kept that coat. Now, that coat means a lot of things. A coat in your Bible, by the way, is usually associated with a man's outward appearance of righteousness. Be it real or be it superficial, it, it relates to a man's righteousness. And when he left, you know the story, I'm sure, and if not, you can read down a little further and see it of what happens over the next few verses. How that she uh, uh, immediately, whenever Joseph runs out of the house, she screams and cries and said, This Hebrew has tried to force himself upon me, and Potiphar, my husband, brought him in to mock us. She lies about Joseph. She uh, wrecks and destroys his testimony, gets him thrown in jail. And that's still better than if he would have given in. Because he may have lost his coat, but he kept his character. And he kept his honor in the eyes of God. Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. It may cost you something to flee temptation. It may cost you something to flee temptation. I'm not saying it's always going to be easy. Hey, listen, if you've got to find a new place to work because uh, of the things going on, or uh, ladies, if you've got to find, you, well, men too, a new place to shop or a new place to uh, do your banking business or whatever you've got to do to get out of temptation, it may cost you something. But it won't cost you as much as it would cost you to give in. It's always worth it to stand with God. Always, always, always. We often talk about how we need to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But I'll be honest with you, there's times we have to do a little fleeing ourselves. There's times that we have to do a little flee in ourselves, times that we have to get out of the way, reminded what the Bible says in Romans 13, 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Don't get yourself in those situations, but if you find yourself in those situations, get out of those situations. And if you keep finding yourself in those situations, then you better change whatever situation is leading to your situations. Because eventually you're going to give in. I'd remind you of this, and I'm done. I'll give you this one verse. Proverbs 6.27. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? You play with fire long enough, eventually it's going to get you. And if you, uh, if you flirt with temptation long enough, eventually you're going to give in. You're not above it. I'm not above it. Nobody's above it. And listen, because of the context of what we've 
preached on tonight. We've talked a lot about physical temptation, carnal temptation, but it could be any temptation. It could be the temptation to lie. It could be the temptation of pride. It could be the temptation to rob God of what's His. But whatever it is, you better run from it. You better refuse it. You better remove yourself from it. And you better run from it if you have to. Because if you don't, it'll wreck you. It'll destroy you.